Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. I can't believe already this is episode four of series three. This is the 19th episode since we began last year, um, early last year. As always, we go through the press pack. We'll talk about what um, I've seen online that's caught my eye and, and, and in the uh, the weeklies. It's short and sweet, this episode, because we've not quite got the monthly magazines uh, on our doorstep just yet. So there's nothing to review from that respect. But of course, we will delve into the archives. I've gone way back to 1996 with articles from Match Fishing Magazine. So we'll take a look at that as well. Of course, I mentioned the big chat and the tackle shed, anything that's caught my eye, anything that I've used, um, use and abuse, if you like, and that you might find interesting also. But the big news is this will be the very last podcast in its format. I've decided that I need to shake things up a little bit. We're at the right time now. We're, we're nearly 20 episodes in of the of the same format with the past, present, future piece with our various guests. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace the big chat with a new segment, which is going to be called The Forum. And The Forum is going to involve a number of anglers, not just one-to-one. Uh, we're going to have a number of former guests um, and some new ones, of course, as well. And I'd love your participation in this please because because we have numerous anglers and of course we need subjects to talk about so i'd love it if the listeners could provide the subjects and the plan will be it should be so easy for me you're going to get a number of anglers in a room and i just want to get the ball rolling and let them talk amongst themselves we can talk about the state of the tackle industry we can talk about new items of tackle coming out we can talk about magazine features big match wins various tactics loads and loads of stuff that we can get stuck into um so that's really going to be the way forward um they might not be as regular as they are now um they could be quarterly they could be bi-monthly they could be weekly if they really take off i have no idea but what i want to do is i feel that it's time to evolve the podcast a little bit further and uh, bring different guests together and see how they interact because i think you've probably heard enough of me now chatting to these top top anglers so without further ado and later on in the show i will reveal who are going to be my guests on the first forum uh, but for now without further ado it's the press pack let's dive then into the metaphorical press pack um and i think for now we'll kick off thinking about social media 
specifically YouTube. Uh, two things that I've watched on YouTube recently that I think could offer good value. I've mentioned in the past around these subscription channels, and the one that I plumped for was called The Edge, and that's the one that's um, hosted, run by uh, Lee Kerry and um, Rob Wotton. Well, the latest episode was well worth a view. It's following Rob on a live match. It was filmed earlier on this month at the beginning of March. And um, it's proper pellet fishing, basically. It's, I think he comes third overall in the match. It, the match was won by bigger fish that clearly balled up on the other side of the lake. But he has a great weight of fish, 70 plus pounds of very small F1s, only sort of pound, pound and a half. Nothing bigger than two pounds. A busy day. It just shows you, you know, how to approach hard pellets in winter or early spring uh, when the fishing is still difficult. And it was a brilliant, I think it was an hour and a half, really, really good video. And, and it was just one of those where I thought, you know, have you got time to watch a fishing video that's as long as most films? Normally you'd say no, but on this occasion it was, it was compelling viewing and, and really gave me some good ideas about just, concentrating on on one line really um it wasn't rotating that much it was very interesting anyway so the edge latest um, is the live match with rob on the box next up was um winning ways so that's the, the the combo of jamie Hughes and andy may there's a bit of a theme here isn't there that these top anglers are, are, are teaming up and it was a shortest clip 20 odd minutes where they've had a bit of a rant um, ironically, I think they call it their podcast, which is it's just like a short clip. It's nothing like this format. Um, but they discuss sponsorship, and I found it fascinating um, on two fronts, how both the guys went from regular jobs to full-time angling, but also the stuff that they get asked and the things that they hear about them being in a privileged position, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they tell you that that's not the case. You know, massive gambles were taken to take the plump and go into coaching and full-time angling, if you wish. And, and obviously now it's paying dividends. They're winning big matches, good consultancies with uh, Rather Outdoors, the owner of Preston's and Matrix. So doing very well for themselves and, and, and absolutely, you know, fully deserved. Uh, but yeah, just some of those questions that they get it's a strange one isn't it you know there's people want to be sponsored or be affiliated with a brand you know regardless of their results which is strange you've got to earn a sponsorship you know you've got to earn it's a two-way thing is what are what's the brand going to get from you and what are you going to get from the brand it's not a case of just you know i want to tell everybody and i want to wear all the same clobber or have all the same matching luggage, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems to me that that's what some people focus on more, the kudos rather than their actual ability and, and match results. So, yeah, you see it all the time. And and being involved with a bait company myself, um, although they have tailed off lately, the amount of sponsorship requests that come through on the emails is, is just bizarre, really. And you ask, okay, yep, yeah, fine. Well, what were you going to bring to the table? And well, nothing. I'll, I'll, I'll wear your T-shirt. You know, that's it's not going to work. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a really good video uh, or podcast, as they call it, where they've had a... It's more Andy May having a bit of a rant and then Jamie Hughes dipping in and out, but it was, it was quite good. Whilst they, they actually catch a few fish as well. Into then, the latest Angling Times right in front of me and uh, the biggest UK Xander brace in history. 
Well, it says here, a new chapter was written in the Predator Fishing History Books on the last day of the river season. A chap called Andy Black banked two Xander, uh, weighing £34.8 ounce between them. That's a £19.14 and an £18.6 fish. Now, this frustrates me. It just says, from a Midlands river. Now, I'm going to guess the seven. Well, that's just me guessing. Um, but why not name it? The river season's shut now. It's not like people are going to go down there and, and target them unless they're poaching. Um, I, I don't get this part of specimen and specimen angling, the secrecy that, that, you know, I want this to myself sort of thing. And I don't want to share. Uh, I want to share my success, but I'm not going to tell you how or where I did it. And that I find that a little bit strange. Uh, there, um, there might be reasons behind it. You know, why you wouldn't, if it's a syndicate, of course, or you don't want every Tom, Dick and Harry traipsing over there trying to catch one fish and putting a lot of pressure on the venue. I get all that, but this is a river. You know, the fish can be anywhere in a river and they're shut. So I really don't understand that. And, and just that side of specimen fishing does concern me slightly. It's just a little bit odd. Um, what else have we got? Appeal for fishing coaches. You know, there's lots and lots of these charities now popping up that are looking for coaches to help them out and drive the sport it's all power to the to the sports arm um it's all good for me get people on the bank get them into the sport and guarantees our future of course match results are in this week's paper and um two big re uh, recent match results that, that stand out for me and if, if you're on uh, the facebook page you'd have seen it i said congratulations to nick speed for winning the uh, the golden reel final um one of those biggies that have eluded him for some time he's, he's finally got that on his mantelpiece now um, Nick was one of our very first guests back last year and, and was a, it was a brilliant interview. It really was. If you've not listened to it yet, do go and have a listen back on that one. Episode three, series one, um, such a thinking angler. Brilliant guy, well-deserved. And of course, um, a, a fantastic festival win down at Whitetakers from Adam Richards, our last guest on the last episode. And uh, the good thing was it was the Frenzy Festival, which is obviously the uh, the firm that he consults for as well. So both of those results are in uh, this week's paper, of course. Loads and loads of big catch results, lots of last-minute river catches, um, some giant chubs, £7, 12 ounce from the 7. Um, you've got a £15, 10 ounce barbel from the Ooze, which is interesting. Obviously, the Trent usually throws up a few. But this one caught my eye, barbel-wise. Uh, new river record for the Ribble. Uh, being a northern lad myself, fished the Ribble a few times, but never for Barbel at £17.9. Let's see if he states where. It just says um, Jason Huckler fishing a vortex bait, smoked salmon pellet. Battled with it for several minutes with his son by his side. And yep, again, it doesn't say. The stretch, it's shut. No one's going to go down there and chase that fish. Again, unless they're poaching. Loads of predators coming out, so all good stuff. Now, good article page. What are we on Angling Times? Page 14. Uh, it says, get off to a great start this spring. Steve Ringer uh, talking through the card in terms of getting your rigs up to scratch, changing your lines, your pole elastic, etc. Watching out for the air pressure and air temperature. Well, that's been blown out of the water today. As I currently speak, it's snowing outside, uh, whereas last week it was 19 degrees. It's very, very bizarre. Not unknown. I, I've known, remember snowing. Uh, April before today, but yeah, a little bit strange. So it's it's almost like taking a step back for your angling. Maybe you was thinking about beefing up your hook lengths and your elastics, and it might just be one to hold out. 
for a week or so. And uh, take note of Steve Ringer's article, of course, but maybe uh, introduce it in a week or two. Moving on then to the match fishing I mentioned before, June 1996, £2.50 at the time. Uh, the editor was Roger Mortimer. This kicks off with tackle and tactics. Like everything really mid-90s, a lot of natural fishing. You know, the commercials were only just getting going around this sort of period. Um, so a lot of natural fishing going on. But there was one little piece here which I completely forgot about, and it was called the Browning Masters. And what they used to do in match fishing was they would choose six anglers every month, I think it was for six months, and then they would have a final of 36 anglers somewhere sponsored by Browning. Um, so it was actually the magazine, Roger Mortimer, picking the anglers for various achievements they've had recently. Well, on this month, who have they chosen? Brian Bennett, Gabalino Map style at Sangler, still the man to beat on the Avon. And then it gives a list of some of his recent achievements, which qualified him for this Browning Masters. So it's, it's an, essentially, it's an invite-only event, but you've got to earn your stripes to get there. So Brian Bennett, Steve Eminray, um, of course, England international. Uh, he'd been winning on the Saw Valley Winter League and the Thames Championship. Paul Hughes, Maver, so from up my way in the northwest. Frank Barlow, legend. Um, sadly, no longer with us, but at the time, probably one of the biggest names in match fishing at that weekly column, Angler's Mail. He was invited. Richard Taylor, Delcac. Um, young lad at the time. I remember Richard Taylor. He's about the same age as me. And um, he was an England youth international at the time. But he'd been fishing with, by the look of it, Delcac, taking a few big scalps from the Iowa Dorking team. Um, and also, they have an invite only for a Club Angler of the Year. So if you win the Club Angler of the Year, you would get invited. Anyway, on to the main features. And this one that caught my eye in page 50. It's called People Watching. And it says, Watching stars in action is one of the best ways of learning more about unfamiliar methods. Match fishing editor Roger Mortimer reckons it's what you take note of that dictates how much you learn. Now, this is talking about bank watching you know, um, spectators. And I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at these images from 1996 and some of these are big matches. Obviously, the John Smiths on the Avon, this Browning Masters, actually, there's there's some spectators there. The Winter League final. And these are big, big crowds. And, you know, you read back from the days before, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you'd read of thousands of people sitting behind the likes of Ivan Marks. And you just don't get that nowadays. Do you? you don't get anglers, apart from Fishermania, big crowds, 8,000, I think, last year. Um, John Smith, which I just mentioned, may have matched this, perhaps the Golden Rod, Real. They'll get a few spectators coming along, but mainly locals, you know. This has got people travelling for miles and miles to, to watch their heroes, really, I guess, to, to pick up ideas. And it's just something I remember as a kid, I used to go and just wander along the canal and the matches were on and and watch them and pick up ideas and not something maybe we're just all too busy now maybe the only free time that we get you actually want to be fishing rather than watching it but perhaps taking and, and investing a little bit of time in watching uh, could prove dividends in the long run hmm, interesting tackling tactics my way with the bream john allerton an encounter with a shoal of bream can the highlight of a match angler season john allerton offers his thoughts on this money spinning species uh, he's talking about feeder accuracy, light tackle, whether it's on a rod or on a pole, good conditions, wind direction, 
very detailed possibly not seen an article like that in some time where it's very easy to read and very specific it's the sections are broken down into feeding wind direction pinkies light tackle the pole so it's very scripted and, and for an idiot like me very easy to read finally we will finish off with uh, match fishing magazine um i'm not gonna lie it's literally landed on my doorstep today so i've not had a chance to read it all and being conscious of time and wanting to get the latest episode out um, i'm going to skim through this and just go through what i've highlighted so the first article i did read in any sort of depth was something called bait wars page 20. it's uh tommy a good old mate tommy pickering and his daughter emma where they're pitting two different bait approaches against each other Emma with casters, worms, and a ground bait approach, and then Tommy with a micro pellet and a fuca micros over the top. It's a bank end fisheries in Doncaster. It's a place I've always fancied having a, having a crack at. I've read some good articles, drove past it a few times, and um, I like the idea. It's a very deep water, lots of silvers. Uh, I won't tell you who wins, um, father versus daughter, and I think it was done um, on International Women's Day as well, so the, the, the stars were aligning a little bit. But yeah, have a read of that because what they've tried to do in the interest of fairness is fish the same distance, the same depth with the same rig and see how these different baits uh, stand out. So uh, that's a nice little like. I like that. Uh, and at the end, um, if you are a fan of purchasing from Willy Worms, um, it's where I tend to get uh, some bait from if I, uh, if I need anything in bulk, if I need it delivering for a festival, etc. So always a good service. They're doing an offer. Uh, the bait pack that Emma uses or the bait pack that Tommy uses. So take a look at that one. Uh, after that article on page 26 is this is this gripe of mine that you've probably heard in the past. It's River Trent legend Rob Perkins goes in search of chub using the underused and underrated combination of steak and mince. Today I come to Stoke Ferry Lane section of the Nottingham Trent, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, fantastic, lovely, great article. Um, the rivers are shut. I, I don't get this. I, I just, I've said it before, you know, I've seen in Match Fishing Magazine articles in October, November that were, that were shot in the middle of summer. So they become null and void. Um, I don't understand. Maybe the only thing I can think of is, of course, they want people to hold on to their magazines. They don't want them going in the old recycling bin and you will refer back to these. Um, so for me now, this, if I want to try and fish steak on the River Trent, I'll have to pick this back up in another three months in June. So I do get confused. However, on the flip side, a very, very good article. Um, it's by Sean Cameron at Lindholm, and it says five things every feeder angler should know. Now, I've only literally skimmed through this article. I've not read it in any depth, but the five things are uh, water pressure, uh, the tools of your trade, your feeder choice, um, where to fish, and the time how long to fish in other words and this will be key for me i will really get stuck into this and, and absorb it because i am not a great feeder angler certainly not on commercials uh, i'm probably a little bit better on a natural water than i would be on a commercial so i need to learn as much as i can for feeder fishing so the sean cameron's um article i will be uh, absorbing profusely now in the feeder section as well a good mate darren cox uh, i ask a lot of our uh, guests on the big chat about big money finals, the preparation needed, the mindset, that's the word, the mindset that you need to not only qualify, but then to get into these final and approach it. Well, Darren's article here says, 
big final practice brings benefits. This month's match fishing regular, Darren Cox extols the virtues of practice. If you qualified for a final, why not get to know the venue as well as you can beforehand? And he talks through this. This is Larford, which is, of course, some of the the big finals are on. Um, So have a read of that because it, it gets into that mindset, which I often question on these shows. Now, one that I did read in depth on page 74, and this, I really, really like this type of article because... Again, apart from the regulars that are in match fishing, which is great, the regular series, Darren Cox, example, Andy Power, uh, Godfrey, etc. Um, I do find sometimes the names that do the features, it's a little bit samey. So to so have somebody completely different and a completely different angle to what they're saying, this one's called A Veteran's Angle. Can an old, dog's le- an old dog learn new tricks? And it's a chap called John Brooks. Openly admits he's more of a club angler, but does fish opens on his local venue, which is Puddle Duck Farm. And he talks about his consistency this last year or two and how he's managed to reach that at his age. Bit of a strange one because he's 63 and he's, you know, veteran status, if you like. The challenge that we've got as match anglers is that we're getting older. You know, I would be quite young compared to a lot of the people I fish, and I'm 41. <laughs> so it is a little bit of a worry. It's probably something we will discuss on the forum with the guys over the coming months. How can we go about bringing newer blood into match fishing? Can we make it easier, etc.? But anyway, um, this chap would be typical of many anglers that may be a bit stuck in the ways. So how do you go about changing those ways, but not too much? And he talks about coaching. Why not? You know, you might think that you know all there is to know. Uh, as we all understand, you never stop learning on the bank. So he openly advocates getting a coach. He's used John Arthur in the past. Talks about sticking to the tactics and methods that you know and doing them well. He also talks about setting your gear up right to ensure that at that age, you're not getting aches and pains. And a lot of uh, older anglers would shy away from fishing long on a pole, as an example, when it could be the way forward. So this is good because I like the fact that you bring in someone more normal, if that's the word, rather than an elite match angler, because the vast, vast majority of us are not at that level. And that's why this podcast has been so popular, because we like to listen to those elite anglers and how they go about approaching things. Um, but actually, it's quite nice to, to read from someone that's doing really, really well at the vast majority of people's level. So Veterans Angle, check that out. Um, You might read it and it could really mirror your day-to-day fishing or your weekend fishing, should I say. So yes, have a little read of that. Now, speaking of regulars, um, in the poll section, gearing up for the challenge, Will Raisin. And there's nobody better really, is there, to, to be a regular every month in your magazine than Will Raisin. Always very insightful brings things across really, really well. But he's talking about the Census Challenge, which is uh, taking place on the Gloucester Canal every year. Uh, fish to international rules. And it's one of those that I think the international anglers that we've had on the show that I've spoken to in the past and, and I've, I've read, quoted a lot in the angling press, is that they believe there's not enough matches fish to international rules, which obviously has a big effect on our results overseas when it comes to world championships. So this is a really, really important match in the calendar to ensure that anglers who who represent England and the other home nations can fish these types of uh, similar venues to what we would get overseas, big, deep, 
powerful bloodworm usually as well and really put it through its paces to, to keep us in that international um, feel if you like so that's a good one it's it, a lot of bloodworm fishing and i know not a lot of people get chance to do bloodworm fishing as they perhaps used to do i certainly don't but again it's still a, a good read and it talks it, don't get me wrong you know he's not got a massive net of fish and actually that's quite refreshing because a lot of matches are not won with um bumper bags on natural venues so yes have a little read of that good setup good tactic i've skimmed through it i've not read the ins and outs of it but um i, I like the uh, the concept no improved course fishing this month it's not winged its way to my doorstep just yet so sadly i can't talk through that one but of course we will review and look in the tackle shed for match fishing soon as well so now it's time for the big chat with Warren Martin. Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits. Hi and welcome to the very final big chat of its current format. And I'm very, very happy to welcome Matrix Bats 2012 Fishermania Champion. It's Mr. Warren Martin. How are you, sir? Hello, Davey. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, no, you're more than welcome, mate. And uh, this is, I can't believe it, I started this podcast in around January, February last year, and this is episode 19 already. And we've had a whole host of guests, mainly match anglers, and uh, we're going to mix things up as we hit summer 2022. So you're the last one of this format, but uh, I'll ask you in advance already. I'd love to have you back in the new format, which I'll reveal to the listeners later on in the show. But anyway, how have you been, mate? Um, obviously, weather's a little bit crazy right now. We had spring really hit us <laughs> last week and say I've had snow. So how we, are you getting on? We have this morning as well. I came out this morning. I couldn't believe it. Everything was completely covered and it was a full on blizzard. I know, totally bizarre. It's <laughs> and just still sunburned from fishing last weekend. <laughs> the fish won't know what's going on, will they? <laughs> no, no, no. It's one of them. Now, listen. I know you know the format. We've spoke about this before. Before you joined us, um, yeah. we do have a theme. This is the, the like I say, it's the last of this theme before I evolve the podcast, uh, and it's called past, present, and future. And for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to to get you on the podcast and, and get you involved was the part of the world where you're from. An absolutely yeah. beautiful part of Britain in, yeah. in uh, East Anglia. And I'd never been until last year uh, right. when we had our family holiday over yeah. on the broads. Yeah. So I really wanted to engage anglers from your part of the world and, and get to, to, to know what the match fishing's like there, how you grew up, etc. So where did it all start for you, mate? Because you've got so many types of waters. Where do yeah. you, I don't even know, is it the sea? Is it a lake, a river or what? I mean, my, I started on the River Wentham in a little village called Swanton Morley, where I lived right in the middle of Norfolk. Um, it's probably only seven or eight. I was fortunate that my dad fished and my granddad fished. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of the traditional route into it, really. Mm. Um, so then sort of moved normal thing, joined Deerham and District Angling Club, started winning the junior matches, moved on to the senior matches about sort of 
14 or 15 and actually started winning those as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that was when I then sort of bullied my dad into starting <laughs> driving us to some open matches. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's it's a, it's a common theme. It's that you've got a, a good support network to help yeah. you from the start. Um, yeah. And there's another theme that these consistent winners who I interview regularly on this show um, all began winning opens and uh, senior club matches at an early age as well. So what, what was your first open around 14, 15 years of age? Um, first open was probably 16. Right. Um, yeah. We were fishing places like the River Wensum um, at Riverside Road in the middle of Norwich, mm-hmm. um, Ten Mile Bank on the Great Ooze, uh, sort of Weybridge Pits down in Suffolk, um, and then sort of gradually went a bit further to the River Cam and the Old Neen. The thing living where I live, mm-hmm. it is beautiful, it is lovely, but unless you only fish matches on the broads, you do have to travel because we're so far out of the way. Yeah. Is that not um, increased though? You know, commercials and whatnot are they not popping up left, right, and centre? Or is it I still mean, very much a natural anglers area? It's it's ridiculous, really. In in the summer, I'm travelling all over the country, going to qualifiers and things. And every Saturday and Sunday, I've got a hundred peg match on a river, ten minutes from my house on the River Yare or the River Bure and Thurn. Um, commercial wise, around here, there's really three main commercials barford reefham and meadow farm mm-hmm. um the problem with norfolk is it's not a densely populated place if those venues were in the midlands you'd have a 50 pegger on there every week on all of them yeah but because the pool of anglers isn't that big in norfolk they're not big matches they're sort of like 20 peggers and things like that so big river matches were spoiled big commercial mm-hmm. matches we have to travel a bit yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it's a similar story where I am. I think it's because there is a reasonable bunch of anglers, but there's so many waters that yeah. that then thins out. Yeah, you've got the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's very bizarre. Whereas where I'm from in the northwest, there's so few waters mm. that the attendances are massive. You know, yeah. I said before on the show, you can go to a Thursday open at Partridge Lakes <laughs> and there's going to be 100 people. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. So, but I mean, in terms of um, growing up on those rivers, you felt like that stood you in good stead on the commercials? I think, I mean, I still do. Generally, once the qualifiers and that are out of the way, sort of September, October, November, I do catch the end of the the season really on on the broad. So I still do a bit of that. But yeah, it definitely, definitely stands you in good stead. I was looked at the um, Drennan Knockout Cup. Yes. You can see as you get through to the final, you can see the people who used to or still do fish canals and fish rivers and fish big canals and yeah, it definitely stands you in good stead. You, you, you learn how to catch fish, basically, don't you? 100% under under tough conditions as well. I mean, it, yeah. it's, um, I know certain parts of those broads and those big rivers, they ball up. If you're not on them, you've got to work, learn how to extract them from really tough areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm just thinking, it. actually, have, 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 have I missed a trip? I'm just trying to think. Riverfest, I'm not yeah. thinking of any qualifiers in your neck of the woods. Or have I, have I got no, that I wrong? I think they have one on the, yeah. Right. I okay. think there is one on the air each year, and that, that's it, I think. I was going to say, because when you're talking about those types of attendances, 100 peg plus mm. sometimes, you know, it's it's a, it's a breeding ground for river anglers, so surely they would have qualified. I must have missed that. I, must have, I mustn't have no. looked too I mean, much. I think the, the, the first two or three matches on the year, which we're three months away, have all sold out already. Well, there we go. Crikey. <laughs> 
Well, I did have a look actually, because I know when I come back from my, our little family holiday down there, and uh, I, and I know that there's a you know like a broads championship. Yeah. Or like, I think it's three days. Um, and start. Yeah, you have a, you have a two, two day festival on the Wednesday and Thursday, and mm. then the broads open is on the Saturday. Fantastic. It's one I've always wanted to win. I've fished that most years since I was about 15 and I've never won it. I was going to say there must be quite a bit of nostalgia there every time you go back and get back on the rivers and, and, and sort of mix it up a bit. Is, is, yeah. that, is that a target for you then? Is it the Broads champ? I've always wanted to win the Broads Open <laughs> and would have been the last year it ran before COVID, so 2019, the peg. that I didn't fish the two-day festival, but peg one which is opposite Candledyke at Martham, had annihilated it both days, and I drew it on the Broads Open. And I thought, this this is it. One feeder rod, £40 of bream, going to do it. I've had probably £25 in the first hour. Yeah. Absolutely annihilated wow. it. Yeah. And then in the space of 10 minutes, I got cormoranted, ottered, and sealed. Sealed? <laughs> yep. <laughs> With about... 10 boats all floating around the area going, oh, look at that lovely seal. Look at that lovely corn. Oh, look no. at that lovely otter. And I ended up with £28. Oh, crap. And what one? Only about 35, oh. 36. But basically, my shoal of bream moved down to my left and the anglers below me all started catching. And we're getting and uh, we're getting eaten by otters and whatnot as well, by the sound <laughs> of it. What are the chances of all three at the same time? Oh, my <laughs> Well, when did you first get a taste of um, of commercial waters? And if you were growing up on these rivers and you was fishing those club matches and then entered the opens, um, because obviously it was mid to late 90s before they all yeah. started kicking in. I'm sort of of that generation that caught the last few years of Drennan Super Leagues and team fishing Angling, Angling Times Winter Leagues and that was all you did. Mm. And then when I was sort of like 18, 19, the first commercial sort of round here popped up um which was a place called east bill me and barford and for a few years i was sort of doing a combination of the two i was maybe fishing an open on the commercial on saturday and then going and fishing a natural venue or the winter league or the super league or something on the sundays um and i never really made a conscious decision to do one or the other mm. i just sort of naturally without really meaning to drifted more onto the commercial side, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've never stopped fishing rivers. I will have a little spell each year where I still do it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just sort of naturally drifted over to commercials, really. Now, you, I am jumping ahead a little bit here, sort of uh, away from the passive act, but you have had quite a bit of su team success, haven't you, in the past? Um, not so much on uh, natural venues and that. The problem we used to have on there, fishing with Shimano Tom Bolton, is that we were always in against Essex when mm. they were the superstars. The, yeah, the the, the, uh, the pump, yeah. And then uh, Hot Rods, Brown and Hot Rods sort of took over from them. So we always struggled a bit in those. Um, we, I think probably the best team result is I had in the second year of Matrix, the year uh, Maver ran the Maver match this team final, the day mm. after the main final. Yes. Um, we won that as a team and I won it individually as well, so... That was that was a good result, but like you say, more more commercial focus. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, I'm just thinking. Let me step back. I'm I'm jumping all, <laughs> all over the show here. Um, do you remember your first match win? I always ask everybody that. 
I remember, I don't remember the first junior match win. I remember my first senior club match win was at a place called Glenwade Common Lakes. And I don't know why I did it, but it was it was horrific, this venue. It was terrible. <laughs> and for some reason, I decided to fish bomb and bronze pinky. All right. What was the thing? And I caught a pound roach and an eight pound bream. And I think about a pound was second in the match. Well, you can't argue with that. Can you? <laughs> so I remember that. And my first open win, I skived off uh, my first year of sixth form. So I would have been 16 because I was always the youngest one in my year at school. So I would have been yeah. 16. I skived off and went to a Wednesday open on the Great Ooze at Littleport, um, which used to be sort of 50, 60 peggers. Yes. And I remember because I drew next to Keith Arthur and I was thinking, oh, blimey, I'm next to Keith Arthur. And I won I won that with, I think, nine pound of roach from memory. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that, that was definitely my first open match win. It's good to remember. Yeah. It is. It's good to remember. I always ask everybody that. It's it's interesting. So so from, from those early days then, first match wins, uh, was it somebody, and again, a similar question I ask a lot of people, did somebody take you under their wing or did you just find I've things I've been very easy? fortunate, really. Obviously, in the, year, in the early years, it was my dad hmm. um, who taught me the basics and things, but probably once we got to 18 or 19, I was teaching him. Yes. Um, but yeah. in, in, in those years where I was sort of swapping from clubs, to opens there was a, a guy in the RAF called Dave Woodbridge mm. um, never really made a massive name for himself in an area because he was posted all around the country all the time but when he was in a certain area for a few years he would dominate yeah and he he taught me how to catch roach basically um, he taught me about finesse and fine tackle and presentation and that side of it um, so he was a massive help at that that time um, as I mentioned, we fished for a team called Shimano Tom Bolton, which was yeah. based in Tom Bolton's fishing tackle shop. Tom and all the guys in there are a help. Um, Tom sort of financially and with tackle and bait and that as well, because I was at college at that point. Um, and then in later years, um, you may know being living in the northwest, you don't, but sort of down here in the southeast, he was a legend. Um, a guy called Jimmy Randall. Yeah, one um, sandal Randall. One, <laughs> And do you know why he's called One Sandal Randall? No, no. Because I threw his other sandal in a hedge in a car park <laughs> one night. <laughs> there you go. Now we all know. Fantastic. And that was Sid Huggins when he was writing his articles. Yeah, came up with the nickname. But no, he was, he's unfortunately died four or five years ago now after a long battle with cancer. But he was the most intelligent, positive, attacking angler there was but he wouldn't attack without a reason and an explanation for doing it. He'd, he'd understand the fish on the day and mm. then go for it. So he's kind of the one who taught me to win because he wasn't fishing for a section win or anything like that. <clears throat> That's he, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah, he became one of my best friends, probably the first few, probably the first time I drew next to him was one of my very first opens. He's such, such a funny guy but in a sort of sly way. And the uh, first few times I drew next to him, he, he bashed me up. And then I remember drawing next to him at Riverside Road in Norwich one day when I was probably about 19. Yeah. And I beat him. And I said, you will never beat me off the next peg again, being all sort of youthful and brash and all that. Yeah. And he actually, he didn't until a round of the Barford Winter League, probably 2014. 
and he beat me off the next peg. He was on the worst peg and he beat me. And the sense of humour and the sort of bloke he is, uh, after his funeral, um, his, <laughs> his wife came up to me and presented me in a, a properly like carved out wooden case with a glass front and everything with yeah. a pole float in it. And with a message saying the float that beat Warren Martin in the Winter League on such and such a date at railway. So he actually framed that float ready to give to me or be given to me at his funeral. Wow. That's fantastic. And that sits on the the shelf in my living room still now. Well, I get an idea of what his sense of humour is (laughs) just from that. (laughs) But, but let me just pick up on what you said. That was really interesting about the uh, the attack in the peg. Well, what dictates that? Did he just think, right, he knows a bit of form of the venue, uh, the weather conditions, he just gets a hunch and then just thinks, right, I'm going for it? Or His, it, his I, biggest thing um, was most commercial matches, obviously, are one in the margins. If you're going to win, you do at some point catch in the margins. Yeah. And he would basically never be the first one to go down the margin. He would watch and look and see. And then when he did go, it was all about timing. When when he went was when the fish wanted to be in the margins so he mm-hmm. could properly attack it. Yeah. He wasn't feeding it for hours before. So by the time they come in, there's so much bait there and it's yeah. a mess. He went down the margins when the fish wanted to be there and eat. Yeah. And because that's something that I've always, always, yeah. always look at now. Because I would say, I'm a, I mean, I'm obviously not in in your lads' league. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a club angler, you know, but, but <coughs> I'm a very negative angler. Yeah. I know that. I know I don't feed enough at times. I know that when I do feed or I'm aggressive, it's probably on the wrong day. <laughs> you need to sort of get it. So I'm just wondering what sort of triggers um, that you, you think, right, today, you know, they're going to have a bit of a chew or... Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I know I'm very much the other way. I, I know I blow a lot of pegs by being too aggressive. Mm. Um, but it's, it's you can't change the way you are and it's right on the day and I can't change the way I am and on the day it can be right or, or wrong. It's just, I think it's just in your nature, isn't it? Yeah. I'll always have yeah. a bit of a gamble and go for it sort of thing. But the thing is, you're fishing, um, you know, a lot of qualifiers. Uh, you're aiming for big finals and, you, you you know, you've got to win. Yeah. You've got to give yourself that chance. So that's probably where you've, you, you know, that's that's come to the fore of your mind. When, when did you start, move on a little bit, actually, from the from your first Opens and whatnot, a bit more modern times? When did you yeah. start thinking about qualifiers? And, I mean, because let's think, like, Fisher's been around since 94. Uh, God, Maven must have been a fair few years now. So when did you Maver start? Maver will be... It was 2011, the first major, uh, Maver. So that well be, over 10 years, yeah. Yeah. So, and that was actually what triggered me, to be honest. I've never had any interest. I'm, I've never had any interest in doing it, to be honest. I'm, I'm not like that in life. I never want a bigger house or a better car or a better job. If I'm enjoying what I'm doing and what I've got, I'll stick with it. Yeah. And I was enjoying my fishing and loving my fishing, so I'd never really thought about progressing. Um, I'm just not an ambitious person, really. Um, but then first year of Maver Match This, there was a qualifier at Barford at my local venue. Yes. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go in for it. And I won it. So all of a sudden then, <laughs> I'm off to Larford with the big boys traveling, never really traveled. Traveled like to fish Winter League semifinals and things like that, but not individual events. Um, and I loved it. I, right. I, I, I was amazed, to be honest, 
when I got there that people were saying hello Warren and I'm thinking how the hell do you know who I am? You know me, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed. It. I went up there for a week beforehand and practice. I'd done no good in the final. I drew between uh, Grant Albert and Des Ship on a venue <laughs> nice. pitched until until that week, and they were regulars. But I didn't I didn't make an embarrassment of myself. But it was. Mm. It was my first time doing that sort of fishing. I learned a valuable lesson um, in that I went and read what matches were being won on, how they were all fishing it, and I, I went and fished meat, which was the in bait there at the time, but not at something I've really done much of. Hmm. So I instantly, from that match, thought, you enjoyed this. I'd already decided next year I was going to go and fish some qualifiers because I really enjoyed myself. But I thought, I'm just going to go to these venues and do my own thing. You yes. can't go and beat the regulars at what they regularly do. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the following year, I entered a few, not not loads. I didn't go mad. I think I had about four or five. Um, the first one I went to was, again, at my local place, Barford, and I had a chance there. I think I was fifth. Um, probably could have won if everything went perfect. Mm. And then the next one was Messingham Sands up in yeah. was it North Lincolnshire. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I qualified at the second attempt at qualifying for Fisho. Had you ever fished there before as well? No, no I'd never been there before. Um, spoke to Kev, the owner, when I drew my peg, and uh, he said, you've got an island to chuck to. Um, if you're any good on the waggler, you'll catch shallow to the island. Mm. And waggler fishing, pellet waggler fishing, was kind of the thing that I had made a bit of a name for name myself for. doing. Yeah. I'd mm. had some big weights on pellet wag. Um, yeah, and I've had £170 of... I think I had something like 130 fish for £170. They were only little carp. Not not big stamp then, yeah. Like no. a busy day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and qualified at my second attempt for fish show. That's mad. Yeah. Thought. Would you say, I don't like this term, but you'll know what I mean. So before you qualified for, for the Maver and then tested you know, the water with the fisher, would you say he was a bit of a... A local, like a venue expert, a local expert I, in I your area. Say I was a big fish in a little pond. No disrespect to anyone else, but purely maybe for the number of anglers around here, sort of thing on commercials, I was, I was winning everything. Right, exactly. Um, so what my point here is, where there'll be hundreds of listeners that are in a similar scenario where they'll yeah. fish their local water probably every weekend or every other weekend. Yeah. They'll do really well, and they just might be a little bit nervous about. You know, I don't, unless it, unless the fish shows on their local water, they might yeah. think I actually don't want to travel. I might embarrass myself, like you just <laughs> said. But actually, the reality is, and and we spoke about this with Adam on the last show, is yeah. that it's actually quite a nice experience, isn't it? You know, you, you get to meet different people, and and it's it's it can be a good laugh. And yeah. I think the the virtual draws the last couple of years have taken a bit away, but now that's back. Yeah, I I, I would say to anybody, you know, have a go at a qualifier. Yeah, and. Um... And what I would say as well, that the top anglers are in general the friendliest, nicest anglers as well. So you, you certainly, I mean, I drew between Dead Ship and Grant Albert. And mm. subsequently, if I've got matches out in the West Midlands sort of thing and I don't want to drive, I go and stay around Grant's house now. You sort of become friends from that sort of thing. There you go. Yeah. 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 That's you have it. To buy the Chinese if you stay around his house. <laughs> I, I always remember actually um, talking about official uh, qualifier, and it was one that actually put me off a little bit from going to any more. It was at Boldings. Yeah. 
And that was a bit of a trek for me from, from when I was living <laughs> in the north. From my house. Oh, God, I can imagine from you. That's a, that's a right old trek. Yeah, well, this was at the time I was in Manchester, so it was about two and a half hours or whatever. Yeah. And I got down there and I drew on a, it was called the Stock Pond. Right. Um, it's never used in matches. No, I know where you are, yeah. One of them. And Grant was on it. Um, right. He was he was facing me, and, it, and it, there was only like seven of us on the on the pond, and I'd call it a pond because it was tiny. Yeah. And um, yeah, he won the he won the so that was our section. He won it with something like I think he had about sixty pound fishing shallow, but he was straight facing me, and it was yeah. like having a free lesson. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because he was that small and intimate. I could hear everything he was saying. We was all taking the mick out of each other because we was like, "Why are we on here? Yeah. Why is this part of this competition?" <laughs> um, you know, and you just knew straight away just you was not going to qualify off no. of it. And it, it did. It was things like that that put me off slightly traveling too far yeah. um yeah. that was one of the things but I, I think a lot of that has been ironed out I, I think the biggest thing now is people not turning up and leaving space and stuff like that but... i think this year that will improve again so then that goes back again to like you say sort of the online draws and things the night mm. before mm -hmm. if if that day you knew you were going on that pond you probably wouldn't have bothered going would you wouldn't have gone down no that's right so yeah i think that'll that'll kind of fix itself this year because you're not going to be knowing where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's quite interesting. So first fish or quality, uh, sorry, second attempt, you say official yeah. qualifying and, you, and you've got through. Yeah. Um, so first final would obviously, well, I mean, I, I imagine you tell me, but I imagine <laughs> that that experience was much bigger compared to your, the Maver final with all the sky. Coming. Yeah. Nervous. Yeah, because because it was the first Maver final, it was new. Um, there was a little bit of coverage on TV, but not a mm. lot. Um, but yeah, Fisho was was massive. I'd never I'd never been to I'd never been to watch one or mm. or anything. So yeah, it was a. I can imagine if you're the wrong time type of person, it can completely throw you off. Yeah. But fortunately, I'm sort of just quite a laid back. Don't really worry about much person. So even on that sort of first attempt, I literally could just really enjoy it. It was brilliant. Um, we went up, Daniel Bryden and myself went up the Saturday before. Um, obviously, back then, it was a real mixture of skimmers, barbel, odd big carp, chub. Um, it was all sorts. And we thought going up, it was just going to be a chop worm and caster match. Um, oh, just for the listeners, sorry, just to, sorry to interrupt, Warren. Um, this will be Cudmore. Cudmore Arena, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so we went up, we were planning to go up for like four or five days. Um, the first two days we were there, Daniel fished pellets. I fished worm and caster. Mm. The end of the second day, we just looked at each other and said, we can go home now, can't we? It was that obvious that that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we came home on the Sunday. We were planning to stay till Wednesday. <laughs> um, but came home on the Sunday and then, yeah, fortunately that's exactly how it panned out on the day. And I think to, um, to to work things out like that and to, to i mean i spoke on the last episode about the importance of of a runner and, yeah. a, and having somebody to bounce off of yeah. so dan there is you know you, what's the benefit of, of traveling like that i guess i mean with with he's similar age to me we've sort of fished together since we were 14 15 worked in the tackle shop on saturdays at the same time and yeah. um just he's got very much similar attitude to me really we just have a laugh have a few beers at night and if you win you win if you don't 
we'll try again sort of thing. We've both got a very, very similar attitude and we just have a laugh. We yeah. don't take it serious. Obviously, it is important, but we do it in a fun way. Like when he actually qualified for the final in 2014, um, come second to Andy Goldar, one more fish and he would have won it. He was only about four pound off. Um, Did you run for him that day? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But again, we went up and practiced, had a laugh, enjoyed ourselves on the day. And yeah, he's come second. He's still won himself five grand and probably the best day in his fishing life ever. And mine was the best day in mine because we just yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So t- tell us about the final then. Um, when you had the draw, draws the night before, yeah. um, usually. A few beers, nice and relaxed. Bucky's there, all the rest of it, all the good yeah. stuff. Um when you drew, did you fancy it? Did it was it a form area? No. Um, subsequently, it did become the form area. Um, but when I in that final, basically pegs one and sixteen, the end pegs. Yes, that dominated pretty much ever since it had been at Cudmore. Did they have blockers then? Uh, no, the ladies' match was in between. Yes, got it. But you yeah. still had a bit of an extra gap with the boom for the cables and everything going over to the island yeah um one and 16 had just been completely dominant so literally they were the only pegs everyone wanted Mm. um i drew peg four which hadn't been any good but like so i've won off it and then every year it was still at cudmore after that i think it was one between three and seven Mm. so i it was kind of a surprise the year i won from there but then, as it turns out, that's become the new form area for some reason. Now, obviously, as time moved on, it moved away from Cudmore and then, you know, came across um, back over this way. Um, you're uh, a water, actually, that you, I know that you fish quite a bit, isn't it? Um, Adams Lake and, yeah, on Hayfield. Yeah. Um, did you did you make it to any of those finals on no, there? Or was you I've, close? I thought you might ask me that. So I went back in my diary and I've had a look. And since I've won it, I've been second at Woodland View by £3. Yeah. I've been second at Makings by £5. Oh, God. I've been second at Larford by £5. Decoy by £2 and £7. And the Glebe by £8. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> so I've had some lucky. I think the Woodland View, I think Decoy might have been a mailer where I lost by £2 on the Wednesday. Mm. And then I went to a fish out Woodland View on the Saturday and come second by three pounds. Oh, <laughs> what can you do? I mean, you yeah. can talk about lost fish and all the rest of it. What's the yeah. point? Yeah. No, so, so, yeah, I've had some. I've, actually, the Saturday after I won fish out, I thought I'm going to try and get in Maver again now, being all like on a high and confident and all that. Yeah. And the following Saturday, I went to Tunnel Barn Farm in the Maver and come second by five pounds there the week after winning fish out. You'll be called Grant Albert, carrying on like that, with the amount of seconds he's had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's had more than me, hasn't he? Yeah, wow. No, I'm just thinking, because I was just trying to recall, I don't remember you being on, I think it's been there, what, the last three years, now it's coming over this way to, to Westwood this summer. But yeah. I was just thinking, because I know that is a venue that would suit you very well. It's There's a lot of pellet waggler fishing, there's a lot of bomb fishing. To be fair, Hayfield is the venue that should suit me the most ever because mm. it's very very similar to barford it's big carp in deep water on pellet wags and bombs and things like that but no disrespect to the regulars at barford because i'm one of them 
Yeah. The standard of the regulars at Hayfield is a lot, lot higher. Mm-hmm. So me going with my, what I think is my high-spec modern Wagler rigs to Hayfield actually aren't. I need to step it up a bit and become more up to that. I mean, we had a Matrix day um, just before lockdown, I think it was at Barford, like to test some new products and things like that. Mm. And mine and Jamie Hughes' job on the day was Waggler's. And he's just walked up, picked my rod up before the start, laughed and chucked it in the reeds. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all right. And then I've walked up to him and looked at his his setup and thought, yeah, I am I am a bit behind with this. So subsequently after that day, I've had to completely rethink and redo the way I waggle fish now. <laughs> are we talking about, I'm just guessing here, I mean, you can put me right. Are, are we talking that he's he's refined it more, a bit yeah. more finesse compared yeah. to perhaps those dumpy wagglers that you might have had set up? Perhaps? Yeah, because because when he gets something in his head, he just becomes obsessed with it obsessed and has it, to yeah. perfect it. Mm-hmm. Pellet waggler fishing wasn't really something he'd done. So as soon as the final move to Hayfield, his obsession became the best waggler setup you could ever have sort of thing. So he sort of worked on it, worked on it, got it more refined. Um, the attachments that he's using that will never tangle, the floats he's using, just just everything about it has got it to as near perfect as he can because mm-hmm. he knew the finals were going to be there for a few years and he knew he'd probably qualify for them. So, Which he did, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't been back because of COVID and stuff I haven't been back to Hayfield since I've got my new setup so it'll be interesting to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly oh well it's, that's really interesting mm. and do you find that with um the whole matrix piece meeting the lads and lasses when you do on these days and yeah it, it does it help you do you get new ideas because as I say and it goes back to right at the start of our conversation is that you are in an absolutely stunning part of the world but it is a little bit isolated yeah. and it's and it, and and you know you're not mixing with these guys on a regular basis. No, no, that's that's the advantage of traveling and fishing the qualifiers and going to Matrix Days and even like at Christmas we went and had a Christmas meal in Birmingham sort of thing and you have a chat with them and meet them all and yeah the the higher standard of angler you fish with and against the better you will become basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it definitely definitely helps fishing fishing with Jamie and. John what about the other way around? Have you learnt any of those bits and pieces that perhaps they'd not considered? Oh yeah, I think it works. It works both ways. Um, probably not with Jamie, <laughs> but, <laughs> but with some of the other guys, like um, go out shooting for a day with John Arthur. If I'm fishing and he's filming and things, he might sort of pick something up and go, "What's that?" And I'll explain it to him, and he might go away thinking, "Oh yeah, I could incorporate that." And yeah, it, it works both ways, definitely. Do you like doing the films? I didn't to start with. I'm a very private person. Mm. Uh, or not private, shy maybe. I don't know. But I, I found it awkward to start with. Um, but then being dropped in at the deep end, being obviously filmed on Fisho and talking to the studio. Yes. And then the following year, I was invited back to be Keith Arthur's studio guest live on Sky Sports sort of thing. Yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. properly being dumped in at the deep end. And, and yeah, after that, I thought, yeah, actually, just doing a little clip for Facebook or something isn't that big a deal, really. 
No, not everybody can do it though. That's the thing. Um, certainly live TV. That, that is no, for sure. Well. You know, it, it is quite a difficult thing to do, and and especially when you've got to try and catch fish on tap. Yeah, <laughs> for, a, for a commercial video or a, a product video or whatever, I imagine that yeah, at first it takes some getting used to. But I remember watching you do one not that long ago actually on decoy. Um, weather wasn't great. I think it might have been early about this time last year, perhaps. Right. Um, yeah, and I always was... remember watching it and thinking. I think you went through about three or four methods. That's right. Yeah, waggler, waggler feeder, and yeah, pole, I think it was when really drawn. interesting. Th- and you could just tell it's like, well, actually, you know. You, I think he's enjoying this <laughs> catching fish in like pretty chilly weather. And uh, yeah. yeah. So I thought yeah, I, could have been, I could have been at work that day. So <laughs> sitting there filming a fishing DVD is uh, a bit more enjoyable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it depends, depends what your job is, but uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. As, as they say, um, a bad day's fishing is better than a good day's work. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about then the finals and the qualifiers and all, all that side of things. You're going to go for it this year? Have you got some qualifiers penciled in? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for it properly this year. Um, 2000, October 2016, I made it to the Drennan Knockout Cup final, mm-hmm. which was the one that I'd always wanted to win. I'd always wanted to win that. And Dock I finally Club. got to the final um, at Docklow. Yeah. And it's a two-day thing, and I lost by £7 over two days. Which Who was you against that year? Was that Tom Scholar? No, it was Ian Didcot, Robbie Griffiths, and Steve Barraclough. Yes. Um, and Robbie Robbie won it. It was very tight, and Robbie won it in the end. Um, but the week after that, I hurt my back, and I then basically didn't fish for two years. So uh-huh. I've come back sort of October 2018, but I couldn't really travel a long way for the sort of following year because yeah. um, it would just aggravate my back. So... I pretty much stayed local and then 2019 got into it a bit more, fished, fished quite a few, or maybe seven or eight qualifiers that year, sort of the closer ones to me. Yeah. Thought, right, I'm I'm fit again now. We're going to properly hit it in 2020 and then COVID. <laughs> yes. Um, so this year with it, last year it was after we could match fish again, the matches were so crammed in and so condensed. Mm. You couldn't really do many because all the qualifiers were done in like three months. Um, yeah, so right. this year is really the first year without COVID and without my back being bad that's back to normal. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a proper go again this year. What about um, Westwood? It's not far from me. It's only down the no. road. Yeah, that's only an hour and ten for me. So that's Yeah, closer for you. Would it suit you? It's a very different it's, – you know, it's going to be a lot of shallow <laughs> fishing, a lot of F1s. It doesn't um, really suit you. Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, I fished. I used to fish Westwood quite a lot um, when it was sort of skylark more than anywhere. I've only yeah. really fished Swallow and Falcon a couple of times, um, but being where it is, I could put plenty of time in leading up to it, mm-hmm. um, which would obviously help. I mean, an hour and ten minutes down the road's nothing. So, yeah, I could put being where it is would massively help me because I could put the time in, and I know. I'm friends with most of a lot of the lads who fish it week in, week out as well. So, yeah, yeah I could put some time in there. So that, that would be handy for me. Well, fingers crossed for you. Fingers mm. crossed for you. That is for sure. Well, good. I look forward to 
seeing your campaign. Um, yeah. I think I've only got one or two. I think I've got, I went for a, for a laugh. I've not fished qualifiers for years. I've got a Riverfest ticket this year and right. I've got one qualifier just to go and experience and enjoy. I've not done it for years. Up so the Trent or? Uh, yeah, the Riverfest yeah. on the Trent in August and yeah. the Lindholm fish show is end of June, I want to say. Yeah, I'll see you there. I think I've got Lindholm. Oh, good. I, I'll see a few. I reckon I'll see a few guests on here because I know um, <laughs> Nick Speed will be there. That's for sure. Yeah. And Alex. So yeah. we'll see then. No, it was good. But let's. Uh, that's great. We've covered off how you started there. We spoke a little bit about getting into the qualifiers, making the final, and and obviously some of the plans there that we've got for this season. Let's yeah. talk tactics. Right. Because I wanted to pick your brains a little bit on the very subjects that we've already discussed, and that is, you are well known for fishing a waggler. Yeah. Um. And and I actually fished a fish qualifier, and we drew the same. It was the Adams Lake at Hayfield. Okay. And you was on the opposite bank to me, and you did fish a pellet waggler, um, and you was like Windy Miller. You obviously cast <laughs> very often. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like casting, feeding, yeah. casting, feed. It's a busy method, isn't it? When you, when you do it, but. Just to sort of get into the mindset a little bit, is on these deeper waters, mm. which I really enjoy fishing, Pearl Waggler, when something's above, I say deep, it's not deep, but six foot plus. Yeah. I really enjoy fishing, Pellet Waggler, but I never know where to start. So, what would be your advice uh, to the, myself, the listeners, about start deep, work your way up, look for line yeah. bites? What's, the, what's the, the thought process? Exactly that. Exactly that. I mean, bar, take Barford, for example, is probably 10 to 11 foot deep. Yeah. So in, in the summer, in the height of summer, obviously, if it's boiling hot, then you wouldn't consider going deep, shallow. Um, but I fished Barford uh, about three weeks ago, um, and it was just warming up, so you would catch shallow. But I've started at probably eight foot deep. Right, so only and three then, foot the bottom, yeah. Yeah, you just a, a liner on the pellet waggler is what looks like the most positive bite in the world, but there's nothing there. Yeah. So you get a few of those, and I basically just sort of shallow up foot by foot. Um, I have had days where six inches up or down has made a difference. Um, but yeah, if you're getting what look like unmissable bites and you're missing them, they're liners. So just keep shallowing up gradually and until you find the fish that. The thing you've got to remember to do while you're doing that and becoming shallower is you've got to keep the feed in constant mm. because if you alter your feed in any way, that could make them go up or down. The regulation of the yeah. fish. Does that include not just the regularity, does that include the quantity? Massively, yeah. Got you. Yeah. So, yeah, while, while you're trying to find the depth the fish are happy at, keep your feed in the same. Once you've found that depth then you can mess around your feeding to try and get bites quicker, basically. Got so you. the first the first maybe hour of a pellet waggler match is keeping your feeding steady and altering your depth and finding where they are. Um, so that you then know where they're happiest and then you can play around with your feed um, to try and get the most bites. See, I think I'm terrible at that. <laughs> It was one, I I think I discussed it with Darren Cox on one of the earlier episodes because I read an article that he did in, I think it was in Match Fishing. And one of the things that he was saying was um, when you're rotating lines, don't forget that the line you're now not fishing, you must feed exactly the same as you were doing when you were fishing it. Yeah. Which is like what you're saying there. And and I know I I don't. (laughs) You know, I know that I'm 
all of a sudden I've gone from maybe cook, you know, maybe I was putting a dozen maggots through a toss pot or whatever yeah. when I was pushing that line. And I think, well, I'll I'll throw some maggots over the top. Well, hold yeah. on a minute. Straight away, they're spreading out. I'm yeah. probably not counting how many I'm putting in. And I'm just not feeding it the same as when I was fishing it. So that's a, that's a similar principle. But this is while you're fishing that line. Yeah. So I get that. Because if, like you say, if you would go all of a sudden from six pellets to a dozen yeah then they're going to sink quick you know they're going to go yeah. further down before they get out and what yeah you might that might push the fish down and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get a couple and you think oh i found i found the depth they're at now and then you go back to feeding your two or three pellets and you'll stop catching that's because the fish have gone back yeah. now to sit where they want to sit yeah no so really to find really where they want to be first I've got, I've got a question there as well. I always, um, how do you attach your, your up length? Are you going loop to loop or do you use like a little swivel? No, I always go loop to loop. Do you not get spin up? Mm, very, very rarely. Very rarely. I always use a little barrel swivel, which obviously doesn't give a natural fall. No. No, so when I'm, when I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to swivel on the line when I'm fishing shallow. Because it is unnatural. When I'm fishing the pellet waggler, say over four foot deep, I do always have shot down my line. Maybe you do? Only, yeah, maybe only three number nines. But in that instance, if you wanted to use a swivel, I don't think it'd affect it because the swivel. Is that just to straighten your line out? Yeah. If, if, if you drop it, if you set a waggler, even with like an eight mil pellet or something five foot deep and just swing it in front of you and watch it. Mm. It falls unnaturally. The pellet will sink. The hook length will sort of loop up out of the water into the air and then gradually go down. Then the bit near your float, near the loading, that will sink first as well. And it kind of sinks down in a in a, an N shape because your yeah. pellet's heavy and your float's heavy, but the bit in the middle slack. Mm. So I like to have two or three shot down the line just to make it all fall naturally. Yeah, no, no, I like it. That makes sense. Good. Food for thought then, pellet waggler. <laughs> what about this? Um, when would you consider fishing a bomb over the same line, like a lot of people do? Um, I'd pretty much always have one set up to chuck over it. Um, that's probably... I think you've just always got to have one set up, to be honest, to chuck over it. Again, keep feeding the same. Um if, if I chucked the bomb out and it went round and I hadn't been catching on the waggler, then I would alter my feed and I would feed probably two two pouchfuls a lot less regular keep to then try and keep them on the bottom. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think, to be honest, after you've fished the waggler for half an hour, you've pretty much messed your bomb line up anyway, to be fair. Because there's far too many. If, they, if you're not catching on the waggler and all the pellets are getting to the bottom your bomb line's pretty much ruined. You're never going to find your bait at No, no. But I would always have it set up just to chuck. Sometimes if I fed a load of bait on a waggler sort of thing and I'm not caught and I want to chuck a bomb, I'll probably chuck it three or four metres beyond where I've been feeding yes. the waggler line. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, one, once you've fed the waggler for half an hour or an hour, your bomb line's messed up, so you might as well chuck a bit beyond it. All right. Well, final question then, pellet waggler, because I wanted to pick your brains on that. Location. <laughs> So obviously, if you know that there is some bars, or you know there's a certain there's a gravel area, whatever, you, you know you're naturally going to aim towards that. But big open water. I'll give you an example. One I fish, you'll know it loco. 
Lindell. Yeah. yeah. How on earth do you know where to start on a, on a water like that if you want to fish that pellet waggler and bomb setup? Generally, I think the basic rule is you've got to fish the waggler where you towards the the further limit of where you can fish, but where you can still feed. Feeding is everything. Feeding is everything on the waggler. So is the wind going to get up? Is it in the face? Is it left to right? If it does get up, can I still feed accurately where I'm fishing? So that's the thing that decides it for me on a big open water like that is what is the maximum I'm going to be able to accurately feed all day, really. Good point. And I guess you could put that thinking about um, long-distance feeder fishing. Yeah, because if yeah, you're not, same thing, um, flat calm at the start and you're chucking 80 yards, but you know that the gale force wind's going to get up during the match, then you know you're not going to be able to get there at the end. That's it. That's it. Good. Good tips. Pellet waggler. Well, tell me then, um, keeping on the tactic theme, mm-hmm. what would be, and I say, well, you, you know, you're known for that tactic, if you ever, what would be your favourite tactic? Uh, it's got to be stick float on a river. Ah, I see. Well, there I we go. It. Something slightly different. So not something perhaps you're synonymous with. No. But where would you, is that something that you do when you pleasure fishing? Do you like to get out, have a couple of hours stick float it's, fishing it's now and then? something now? I still love to do. I've done it um, a few weeks ago, just a, a bait apron, a landing net, a stick float rod, and just have a wander along the River Wensum. Yeah. Just have a wander along a few pegs, run a stick, maybe catch a dace realistically you've got a chance of a two pound roach in a few spots wow um but yeah i was dying to do it but the river was in flood most of the time from christmas but we did have a week sort of just at the end of the season and yeah i just had a wander along where i used to fish as a a kid just with a stick float rod and a landing net and yeah love it wonderful wonderful what what, tell me about the wenson because it gets um i think last time i read i think we did it on the the press piece not long ago um that as a venue has been pretty much written off the last few years, but I know there's a lot of focus on local clubs coming together and trying to tackle pollution, trying to tackle some tributaries, things like that. Whatever happened to the river? I mean, from the days of, you said before about Sid Huggins article, (laughs) you know, John Wilson used to be down there go fishing. It seemed to just fall off a cliff a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the Sid Huggins match bit would be the tidal bit in what we call Riverside road, right in the middle of Norwich. Is that near um, the ground? Yeah, sort of. The you used to go. There'd be a section below the football ground, then the football mm. ground, and then about fifty, seventy pegs upstream of that. Right. Um, wow. But it's Big just, It's just massively been redeveloped. It's now nightclubs, bars, apartments, flats. Um, so access is probably the main reason that the match is stopped because mm. um, there's nowhere to park and you can't ship and. You're now shipping your pole back into a beer garden and things like that. Right. Wow. Um, but they still have a few club matches on what they call the yacht station section, which is upstream of the train station. Um, but there doesn't seem to be the roach there anymore. If it's coloured, they catch bream. Hmm. But when it's clear, there doesn't seem to be the roach. I don't know whether it's predation. There's been an otter or two otters there all this winter. Hmm. Um, obviously, cormorants, but. Yeah, it just doesn't. There just doesn't seem to be the actual number of fish in the Broadland system mm. is incredible now. There's more fish in the Broads than I've ever ever known, but they don't seem to go into their traditional winter hideouts now. Hideouts, um, yeah. Some boatyards at Stalham, <coughs> excuse me, on the River Ant, where 
ever since I can I mean we used to go pleasure fishing there when I was sort of 12 years old every winter the fish push in there in the winter to hide in the mm-hmm. boat yards under the boats and things like that but this year the Stalham club matches on there have been being one with ounces wow they just don't seem to go into their old traditional places anymore interesting and it's funny because you mentioned these names now and actually know where you mean whereas yeah. 12 months ago i wouldn't have had a clue <laughs> i would say to anybody genuinely listening it was a it was like an epiphany for me when we went down and went in september um one of the only reasons why was because of the you know we'd booked we're thinking that we couldn't go overseas and all yeah. the rest of it and what a great decision what a wonderful yeah. part yeah. of the world but i wonder why that is um Temperature stayed a bit higher than normal, perhaps. Clarity. Really, really strange. Yeah. No, a boat on the broads in the the summer. or Literally, I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you could moor a boat anywhere on the River Bure, Thurn and Ant, anywhere you like, and you will catch skimmers and bream as well as roach. It is just absolutely solid. I wasn't far from Potter Hyam. Yeah. And that's obviously a massive tourist area where... That was like our nearest shop. I, I I stayed on Hickling Road, but I, right. I, I drove down to Potterham because that's the nearest shops. Yeah. And you'd have a wander along the river. That's free fishing as yeah. well. Um, you know, and, and, and it was loads of people that had, I mean, they didn't, some, some of them had just had a bit of basic kit where they just brought a bit on holiday, some proper match anglers, you know, and everybody was catching. It's skin. solid. Unbelievable. It's, um, and this is a really, really busy, bustling, it's like a little yeah. tourist resort. Oh yeah, the fish are not scared of, no. of of coming in, and I mean, the only thing which I guess would have there were a lot of them were fishing feeder, which would make sense because the tide was quite strong. Yeah, um, but don't matter what the tide was, everybody <laughs> was catching skim hand size, like yeah. six ounce. Yeah, it's absolutely solid, and you get the odd bigger one. There's sort of noted pegs for the bigger bream, mm. um, but wherever you sit, you get the odd the odd better fish. I mean. The, the massive thing on there, it used to be all sort of flat floats, um, sort of yes. six or seven metres on the bit you're talking about at Potter yeah. Um But last year, the short feeder chuck seemed to be better than the flat float. For that some sounds reason, I fishy. Interestingly so, as well, sort of pointing the rod right downstream. Yeah. Um, almost pointing it at the feeder. Yeah. And fishing it sort of almost like a, for pure dropbacks, basically. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah it was just a, everybody you could say even the tackle shop down there you'd say how's your summer been and they'd say oh, it's just been great <laughs> people are starting to realize how great the fishing is and yeah. it's and it's free yeah so, yeah no, it's the the year is a is an awesome river but it is a bit more peggy but the mm-hmm. Bure and the thern are, are just absolutely solid it's to me it's got to be i know like the the y and places like that have their days when they're out of this world with barbel or bleak or whatever, but then they're prone to flooding and you can't fish them. But for consistency, the Bure and the Thurn, you can go down at any day on any peg and catch 20, 30 pounds of skimmers. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, no, wonderful. I've got to got to get back this uh, this summer and, and just try and get a few down, days down yeah. there. And I'd actually love to fish a few matches. I wouldn't expect to do very well, but I, I, I get the feeling from the people that I met, certainly. No one's shy with information. No. But you're right. That is no, sure. absolutely not, no. Yeah. So, no, wonderful. Love it. Um, stick float as well, Wensome. I, I think as well, um, when I was reading about this Wensome regeneration piece, mm. 
I didn't realise that in the past, not recent past as well, there's there's been like fifteen pound barbel. Yeah, that's that's a stretch not far from me, really. Um, the best the NACA owned it, Norfolk Anglers Conservation Association. Um, mm. Stretch from village called Ling, where I used to live, to Lenwade, probably three or four miles. Mm. That was like for a while the best stretch of barbel river in the country it was unbelievable the fish they used to catch out of there um think that they were just like old fish that had died off and they've never like bred on i think that and otters again yeah yeah um but interestingly i as i said i used to live there so the pub in ling i still sort of class as my local yeah and that's not far from the mill pool one night in the summer i just wandered down there when i was in the pub and looked over the bridge and I saw maybe seven or eight barbel, about three or four pound. Mm. So mm, whether they're making a comeback gradually or not, I don't know. Good signs. But I've never seen barbel of that size in there before. It was like, a, like you said, a 15 pounder or nothing. Yeah. They were but, all big fish. Yeah. yeah. But now, yeah, there was, there was, there was a shoulder smaller barbel. So I have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Great. So I like that. I like the fact that you mix it up a bit as lot along with the qualifiers and, and, and the other stuff that you want, you know, your, your opens on, on your local fisheries and whatnot. Um, like you say, just getting a, an apron on, a couple of pints of maggots yeah. and they wander down. I mean, like now, now till September will be manic, flat out traveling qualifiers and things like yeah. that, which is why yeah. then once that's all over for the year, I'd sort of fish a few matches on the broads and, fish a few matches here and there and sort of have a bit of a chill out in the winter time because the next six months now is going to be chaos <laughs> how many miles do you reckon that you travel over that summer period um i know god i mean i class i class a venue three hours away as close wow <laughs> I, I think like oh, i've got the qualifier at makings that's brilliant that's only three hours yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lindome free at Hayfield, Hallcroft, they're all three hours. And I class them as a nice sort of quick journey sort of thing. Wow. And with Obviously, fuel decoy prices Westwood are the two closest. True, yeah, decoy, yeah. With yeah. fuel prices as they are as well, it's you know, these these days can, can build up, can't they? Company fuel card, that's the way forward. <laughs> Good lads. <laughs> I like the sound of that as well. I need one of them, that is for sure. Yeah. Well, that is us, really. That is an hour okay. that has absolutely flown by. Um, thank you so much for joining us. No on, as I say, this will be the, the last of what we call the big chat before we go into a new format. And uh, we'll speak about that separate. You might be something you want to get involved with. In the yeah, game. no problem. Love to, yeah. Yeah, no, much, muchly appreciated. Thank you. Is that a word? Much appreciated. <laughs> so, Warren Martin, thanks for the big chat. Lovely. Thank you very much. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford, where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Okay, it's now time to dive into the virtual tackle shed. We can pick up that um, archived 
magazine of match fishing from 1996. We can look at the recent one that's just landed on the doorstep also. There's a few bits and pieces online that I've spotted. But I think to start off with, it'd be quite good actually to talk about the, the big one show, which I've just come back from um, at Stonely. It's the second one of the year. There was one earlier on this year at Farnborough. I believe that was a lot, lot busier because it was cancelled a couple of years ago with COVID. And uh, those that had bought tickets could keep their ticket for future events or claim a refund. Well, lots of those anglers down there kept their ticket and used it for this year's show. So uh, that's the reason why I believe it was a wee bit busier at Farnborough. Um, in terms of the one that we visited, we wasn't at Farnborough. So that's myself and the guys from uh, the Teddy Fisher Bait stand. Um, Saturday was really interesting because it was super, super busy early, um, probably from about half past nine till half past midday, we were rushed off our feet. And the reason why we went as a brand was pretty much for education. Um, it was about getting people to see our bait, smell them, feel them, see them in practice in the tanks, etc. And explain to people what the brand was all about and tell the story. Being an online-only company is, is very, very difficult to try and uh, get buy-in from consumers. If they can't get their hands onto the product, it's quite difficult. So it was all about education and, and we were super, super busy. What I would say was in, in terms of conversion, i.e. every person that we interacted with then purchased the products was very, very high. I think in general, in the main, customers were excited by certainly our natural range um, and were certainly surprised by what we had to offer and the story of who they are. Um, you know, I don't really talk about the Teddy Fisher brand that supports this podcast, but I guess now's a good time to really, given what we've just done at the big one. So the brand has been around for a very, very long time, over 30 years. Um, it hails from Poland. And essentially, over the years, under various guises and names, and, and the, the chap, that Mr. Ted, let's call him that, he's, his name is he's a Polish chap, um, his recipes have been very, very popular across Poland, Germany, and Switzerland for, for since the 90s. Came to this country around 2012 under a different brand, Ted Fisher, it was called, and the branding was all white and, and red and uh, was used to great effect by the Osset team a few years ago for their Winter League success. Um, but then there was a few changes in, in sort of ownership partnerships and, and the chat with the recipes uh, needed to rebrand with the guys that run the business now uh, to the name Teddy Fisher. So only a couple of letters extra, but very, very different branding. Uh, the same recipes that have been around for a long, long time um, and mainly premium cereal mixes. So the old school census band and I, the natural range. But what we've been working on as a small team um, for the last probably 12, 18 months is trying to create products for the commercial market here in the UK. We know there's a bit of an obsession with with fish meals, crushed pellets, etc. So we've introduced that, and that's where the Excite and Rival range have come from. And they were very popular on Sunday, so the second day of the Big One show. Um, and knocked a bag of the Green Rival range up, which is, hence the name, would rival the likes of a, a Green Swim Stim or a Special G mix, something like that. And, um, yeah, the punters were very, very impressed, so we sold a lot of that. Um, products on Sunday. So that's the evolution really of the brand. Those tried and tested mixes that have been around a long, long time. We sold out of all of the canal range on Saturday. We had to restock for Sunday. Nearly all of the roach. Um, very fine, dark mixes that, again, very popular 
Uh, and again, you could put them up against any of the natural ranges from the other competitors for sure. But obviously, being a small company, um, two or three chaps running that company, um, they've not got the, the marketing budgets and the, and the time to to compete against the likes of your Sonia Bates, Dynamite, etc. But nevertheless, that was the idea of the Big One show. Loads of engagement, some really, really good sales. And hopefully, you know, those guys that go and try that bait now that we sold a bit of everything, to be honest. Pellets went through the roof on Sunday also. Some really interesting pellets. Um, not Coppins or Screttons, but, but, you know, a lot of the tackle companies here use these, come from Europe. And uh, yeah, people start catching fish on these then hopefully they'll come back to our website spread the word and who knows we may get into a few shops as well so it was great to be on the stand but what about the show in general well i'm going to be completely honest i'd say it was a lot quieter than i expected it but we are the first year after a pandemic where you know this there's, there's been these types of exhibition shows what we need really is probably the bigger brands your preston matrix gurus of the world um, to, to be there, Browning, Frenzy, etc. And then what that will do is help the smaller companies because they perhaps they've come to see the big companies, but then they see the benefits of some of the smaller ones. But the guys that were there, um, what was I impressed with? Well, Shimano, they had a stand set up with a, a virtual simulator. Um, let's put it one way. There was a few sweaty heads on that stand as they tried to uh, bring in anything from bass to tuna, sailfish, etc. So that was a popular one. The Colmet guys, uh, that was a very, very popular stand just facing where we were. And I must say, I didn't get a chance to sit on the pole alley. Uh, there was a new Maver one, which I, I'd heard rumours. It's not even got any branding, straight from Italy. Um, Callum Dix was, was showing everybody that, but I didn't get a chance to sit down and feel that. But everybody I spoke to said they were super impressed. The one I did get to play with was the Nuclear from Colmic, and there's some real interesting features of that. Super strong cupping kit for when you're, you know, you're feeding heavy balls of ground bait, natural waters. But at the same time, loads of carp top kits as well. I think there was well over a dozen in that package. Um, just a, a really interesting concept, lots of different ideas. Um, and felt really, really balanced as well. I think I had it at 14 and a half, left about half a metre behind me just across the leg and uh, you could hit bites, no issue at all, just by a lift of the knee. So that was really impressive. Um, lots of smaller companies in there, like float companies, um, lots of carp bait companies were in there as well. The talks from the people um, that were penciled into talks, so Nick Speed, Dave Lyons from Tackling Minds, Bob Roberts, Ali Hamady, all of them really, really positive and packed. And we noticed that when things did go quiet, it was because there was a show on and pretty much every seat in the house was taken up by listening to those uh, those shows. Um, out in the big arena as well, the Maver was out there. They didn't have a huge range with them, but they, they had a lot of bargain buckets and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was one of those where it was busy in periods, peaks and troughs, I'd say. It felt like we spoke to more people on Sunday uh, than we did on Saturday. But I think Saturday we just had a really busy period before it went very quiet in the afternoon. So is it something we'd do again? Absolutely. Um, was it good for brand awareness? A hundred percent. Is it something that we think will drive extra sales online? We hope so. So, yeah, the guys, Tom and Artur that, that, that run the business, um, and the, the, the advocates, if you like, um, we worked really hard to, to try and get the message across. And, and I think it was really interesting. It's the, it's the first show that I've worked on, if you like. Um, 
And it's the first show I've been and visited for a number of years. The last one I went to was the Northern Show um, in Manchester. So, yeah, it's great to see these exhibitions back. That's the that's the key thing out of it. And I'm sure next year will be bigger and better than ever. OK, on to magazines, match fishing, up to date, modern stuff. First thing I picked out, Tony Curd. Uh, and he is new. He's now... Um, He's left his map role as a consultant there. I don't know what he did for work full-time-wise, but he's got a job now with Match Fishing Magazine. So that's good. You've got a, a modern match angler that can fish many, many different types of venues. Um, so I'm sure he'll bring new ideas to the magazine. But here he's done like a, a feature, if you like, a feeder fishing feature, uh, testing some new rods. And these are called, Z I think I said this right, Xenos Advance, X-E-N-O-S. They're from Browning. And they are three in the range of feeder rods. Uh, they go from three long rods, by the way, super long butts as well. 3.3 meters, right up to 4.2 meters, stand 120 pound up to 180. And these are all about um, long range casting, as always, bream at a distance, whether it be via method, um, cage feeder, etc. But pretty much, I mean, 4.2 meters is a, is a beast of a rod, isn't it? And they look interesting and good value for money as well. Into the actual new gear section of the magazine. Some liquids from Willy Worms, um, some floats from Benick Sports, everything from Bolognese through to like, pencil floats. There's another feeder rod here from MAP, which is a 10-foot uh, Parabolics Ultra 2. That's going to be more of your commercial fishery style compared to those browning ones. Um, new tournament feeder reel from Daiwa, 435 quid, so real high-end, down to a more affordable Shimano Sahara at £75. But um, one thing that I know has gone down well and sold that pretty quick in our local fishing evolution shop is the Preston's hard case luggage range, the new stuff. So they've got their tackle safe standard hard case 70 quid, the hard case kit safe 100 and the hard case pole safe 120. So these hard space saving pieces of kit are pretty much all now that the top manufacturers have got a version of and they're coming in at similar price ranges as well and um, not something i'm looking to invest in yet i'm quite happy with my traditional hold all but certainly something that um i'm seeing more and more on the bank Oxbox, the d36 seat box um i have to say the Oxbox guys were facing our stand at the big one and they were permanently busy um, they did quite a number of pre-ordered sales as well focusing on i guess you know like like we all do you ask what type of fishing the the punters are doing and you try and match what you think would um work really well so they had a like a powered version you know so no more back braking pushing a lot of these are powered as well so all those guys did tons and tons of pre-order so i imagine you'll see a lot more ox boxes on the bank akuma samar xc match fd reel not a lot of you will know this but akuma is now distributed through uh, normark and dynamite baits so there's going to be a big focus on akuma reels uh, into the marketplace this year it's probably why um you'll see dynamite backed anglers perhaps promote them and, and the crossover there uh i've had a play with a few of these akuma reels and, and and in terms of value for money i don't think you can go wrong lots of ball bearings real good gear ratios etc so there's one here this one same uh, 57 quid you know real interesting price point that would suit both club open anglers pleasure anglers as well uh, what else have we got it well the big big thing last two weeks the sonia bait spring collection they've done a huge launch this year whether it be the match method mix new bags of paste 
tons of uh, like pellet oils and liquids and some new band and wafters as well so they've come out with a real big aggressive push uh, for this summer so that is match fishing that, that's all the stuff in the new gear section Onto a product launch from Matrix. Um, hot off the press, really. I had a, a, an email from off the Fish Matrix. If you're not follow uh, Fish Matrix, it might well be worth going. Fishmatrix.co.uk. Sign up. You can enter some exclusive competitions, etc. And you also get emails uh, in advance of product launches like I have. The only thing is I can't seem to change the currency from euros to pounds. <laughs> so all these new products are priced in euros, but Matrix Waste Waders. Now these do appeal to me. I bought some chest waders last year, which are fine, but they're hot in summer. You know, no good if it's sort of 20 odd degrees. You can't be having these on. Uh, so these waste waders could be good. Uh, so the price it's showing is 75 euros. So imagine that's going to be sort of 60 odd quid. Uh, long landing handle, four and a half meters. Power landing handle, 130 euros. Matrix Ethos, three and a half meter handle. So a little bit less, 120 euros. Some chest waders. A 24 kit roost. A 12 kit roost. And then the real interesting thing that I spotted is this uh, Horizon X multi-pole holder with a price, a whopping price, of 250 euros it's basically an eight tube hold all with like a hard case kit case attached and it looks massive so certainly not saving any space from what i can see it looks like you need a van to carry that but not one to knock because i've not seen it yet um, and i'm sure it will suit a lot of anglers I imagine those fishing festivals you know you're away for a week or so uh, you need to take the kitchen sink with you that would certainly suit uh, but for me, that's way too big for my fishing. I'd rather have two separate holdalls, to be honest, and pick one up depending on where I'm going, um, suiting the venue I'm fishing. But that's just me. Um, I'm sure it will do well, as always. Probably well made and looks the part from Matrix as well. So their new, um, which came through this morning on the uh, on the Fish Matrix channel, and two other final things that have caught my eye. I've not had a chance to try them yet. I really like the look of this new range of hooks from Drennan, the Acolyte. We, we spoke slightly about them last month. Um, Drennan hooks for me have, have always been the go-to ones for 30 years plus. You know, Drennan and Camazam, same company. Um, faultless, really. I use the Guru ones as well for, for commercial fishing. But in general, certainly Drennan on natural water. So I'm interested in them. Another thing, look, these little Cresta worm cases. I, I wouldn't mind getting one of these. Uh, sort of like an EVA bait tub, if you like, but with like a mesh part at the top, making it breathable for, for in this case, um, worms. So that was something that, <laughs> that I've seen floating around online, promoted by a couple of different tackle shops. And something that I might try and uh, try and pick up at some point. So they are the things, mo all things modern. But how about yesteryear? So let's pick up the match fishing from June '96 and dive to page sixty-nine. New concept match rods from Tricast, new for '96, '97. You've got the XDS thirteen to fifteen foot extending rod. A unique concept to TriCast, which now creates a more versatile rod for an aspiring matchman or pleasure angler. It goes from 13 to 15 foot without having to break down tackle and retains maximum casting ability and action by using a split butt ring. Now, the reason why I picked that one out is because Drennan, I've just brought out an, an extendable um, distance feeder rod, 13 foot. 
plus, um, and I've just spoken about that 4.2 meter Browning one. Which so, and this is like something in between. But this is 26 years ago, so this isn't a new feature in terms of extending rods. Tricast were doing it back then uh, with this XDS version. I'm trying to find the price, but I can't seem to, which uh, tells a bit of a tale. Um, I imagine it was quite expensive. They also come out of a canal waggler rod, 12 foot, the Zenith canal 12 foot rod is an absolute gem, which displays the sweetest of actions while retaining dece deceptive power. Um, 14 rods in our new comprehensive range integra alumna finesse and xrs power match i love tricast gear i don't think i've covered it once on any of these podcasts and i should do really talk about tried and tested um i have a small it's called a, i think it's xk4 um or x4s can't remember the lettering uh, a carp wand i'm sure those that know tricast gear will not talk about a little eight foot thing i've had it for years probably the best bit of kit i've got i bought it second hand but it was like new and it's like elastic you know you can play carp on it uh, you can play little skimmers little roach with its quarter of an ounce tip um, or you can use the one and a half ounce tip for commercials and it's always in my bag even on a canal snake lake if it gets windy and um, want to chuck a little feeder across to the fire bank it's just perfect for things like that it's probably one of my favorite pieces of kit. i really like trackers gear i don't know what's going on with them um i actually reached out to them to see if they wanted to join us on the podcast to to give a UK company's perspective of tackle because they are a UK company, one of the very few. Um, their carbon comes from the manufacturing in the aerospace world, which is why it's so good. Um, but yeah, th there were no plans for anything new. So if anybody knows what's going on with, with TriCast, then fill me in because I'd love to know. I, I really like it. And being a northern lad, it's from Rochdale, which is up the road from where I'm from. I was always a, a big advocate and a big fan of TriCast. Anyway, that was on um, towards the back in the tackle section. So let's find the actual tackle bit. What's new, it's called, original name. So you had MIDI original Pete Warren Sticks. Two quid a piece, uh, must have for river anglers. Still got a few in my box now. Um, I think they were this version as well, certainly not the first version. The Choppy Mix by Census. And I am a big fan of specific chopworm ground mates, which don't seem to exist as much um, as they used to do. I was talking a lot, actually, over the weekend about something called uh, Wizzo Purple Haze. That's what I used to use back in the late 90s. I was a big fan of that. We tried to recreate it, Teddy Fisher, um, a purple ground but I just couldn't quite get there but we did stumble upon something what we call special blue so there is a, a blue ground bait that's been uh, really popular um, and ideal for this type of, of, of sort of chop worm fishing but this census one at the time cheaper ships £1.99 for a 700 gram bag uh, Preston but Hooks Pinch Barbless um, Hinders Mega Hemp still use Hinders Chinese Hemp now uh, leader blue diamond keep net 42 quid so keep nets haven't actually gone up much over the years it seems to be a similar price you get a good keep net for 40 quid nowadays um if we go into some of the bigger tackle shops fisherman's friend let's try and find a more localized tackle shop um here we go acton angling where our good old friend keith arthur used to manage for many many moons what are they selling matchbox uh, I think we've covered these before, matchboxes. Standard canal flat top, £282, four-seater. Pole seat, 296 and What else have we got? So let's have a look in 
Uh, Fosters of Birmingham. Maver Jurassic Carp. I remember these. Two hundred ninety-nine pounds. Uh, what do you get for that? Uh, an eleven meter. You can buy an extension for twelve and <laughs> extension to twelve and a half meter was fifty pound. Extension to fourteen meters fifty pound. So basically three nine nine for a fourteen meter pole. Don't think you got any uh, extra top kits. Uh, Browning luggage special competition holder hundred pound pole holder fifty pound. The Dam DAM Millennium two thousand twelve and a half meter pole ultra slim light only eight hundred grams that is light. Stiff will handle quality fish up to a number eight elastic. Fully take apart, two top three kits, free of charge, £420 or £70 over six months. So, yeah, I love looking back at these um, just to see the differences in price then and now. Funnily enough, though, one of the a chap came up to me at the big one. We were talking about sort of classic game. We spoke about Normark rods. We just discussed them, actually. Um, Titan rods that are changing hands. 25 years later for good money well the original price the titan 2000 this is with oakley's fishing tackle um, which is in sheffield was in sheffield whether it's still there i don't know selling normat rods normat titan 13 foot 341 quid that was then in 1996 they're not fetching that sort of money at the minute but they're not far off so they do hold their value avenger um avenger 1000 13 foot 206 pound micro light that was a popular one 13 foot 350 quid so normark rods apparently a guy was selling me they still hold their value so there we go that is it for this episode of two pints of maggots and a packet of fucks for all of you that came along to the big one show and said hello thank you very much it was mainly to see the bait which is fantastic um Hopefully, you know, you can take a look online and see see the extended range. This is the last format as it is. I'm not saying that I won't do another big chat on a one-to-one -one basis. It, that could be the case, absolutely. But we will, I'd like this forum where we get a number of anglers and different perspectives where they're interacting with each other and, and not just sort of like me asking questions. But I need your help. I need you to give me subjects. So do drop me a message. Email me at eastwoodangling at gmail.com. Send me a message on Facebook. Um, whatever you need to do, let me know. What would you like the guys to talk about? So who are going to be those that are going to join me on the very first one? Which well, probably going to be around May time. I've got to coordinate three people now rather than just the one. But first of all, we're going to have Darren Cox. So Garbolino boss, all-round legend, all-round Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, what he doesn't know about match fishing can be written on the back of a stamp. We're going to have Alex Doherty again from Lindholm Lakes, Drennan Bat. Uh, goldenrod winner and we're also have something slightly different i can't pronounce his second name i could but i'll make a mess of it but he's called tony he's a legend from improve your course fishing he is their chief feature writer um, and what we're going to get tony involved with is i'm going to ask him you know what makes a great feature in a magazine and also how can we get the perfect catch shot so he can give us some tips on that and he can explain how we say his second name because it's a very difficult one so there we go thanks for listening and we'll speak soon on the next episode <music>